Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green podcast, found exclusively on our Vineyard Bowling Green app. We hope you enjoy this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. The purpose of this Advent um, that we've been going through this year is, is for us to connect with God. And we've had a theme this year around risk during Advent and talking about risk and taking risk and what does that look like. And um, we are going to be talking about risk this morning and we're going to be talking about love this morning. And we are going to be using examples of true godly risk takers that are in the Christmas story. So that's what we've been looking at. It's been really good. It's been good for me. It's been fun for me. And we just want to invite you into taking fresh risk with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're really inviting you into. And we're going to look at two scriptures this morning. Really, we've got a couple more, but we're going to really focus on two scriptures this morning. And the first one is reflective in a way because we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? That's what we're celebrating this time of year, the birth of Jesus. It never gets old to me. I know that there's some people that comes around and they're like, oh, Advent again. I know what we're going to be talking about. This is one of my favorite times of the year, if not my favorite time of the year. Um, I love celebrating the birth of Jesus because it stands for so much more than just looking at our past and going, ah, oh, Jesus was born, cool. No, it talks about like Jesus, God with us, anticipating what Jesus is doing today in our lives. And it gives you some hope. It gives you something to look forward to and uh, what God is going to do going into the next year. And, um, and it, it gets me excited that we can expect and anticipate Jesus to be with us in our life um, forever. And so it's really cool. But so we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But the scripture we we're going to look at this morning first is actually right before Jesus was arrested and then crucified. So Luke twenty two forty two. go ahead and put that up. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And in this Christmas story that we have, that we celebrate and we look into, Jesus is an infant who will grow up being raised by Mary and Joseph. And we've been looking the last couple of weeks at Mary and Joseph and the type of people they were and the risks that they were taking. And I want us to think a little bit about the influence that they had as parents on Jesus. Last week we talked about a very chaotic path that God chose to bring Jesus to us, right? There was absolutely probably a more appropriate or on paper a better plan than what happened, right? Jesus could have arrived to earth maybe a different way. But God the creator, he decided to make this risky plan. Remember the law was very strict back then and very formal, geared towards building and protecting certain types of reputations, right? The law was trying to, to build reputable people based more on obedience and protocol and conviction more than really faith and love, right? And Mary was a virgin, and she accepted a great risk, and her reputation was certainly on the line. And we look at it now, of course, because we have the proof of Jesus and the evidence of Jesus as the Messiah, and she did a great job, and it was a great decision. But we have the evidence, right? At the time, all Mary had was faith and obedience, she took a great risk, faith and obedience. All that Joseph had was faith 
and obedience. But God took this opportunity and immediately introduces us into a shift of culture, into a shift and a change of culture, kind of this scandalous introduction into an uncomfortable life that is absolutely risky and ruins both Mary and Joseph for normal for the rest of their lives. They made it, he made it risky, he made it a little bit uncomfortable, and it ruins Mary and Joseph for normal. So Mary and Joseph both risked a great deal and had great faith to follow God's plan. So the question that I've been pondering and I want to ask this morning and kind of let's look at this morning is how might Jesus' role models in Mary and Joseph as his parents, how might they have influenced his life of, of risk? Jesus's life of risk. And hasn't this been a pattern for Christians for years? The pattern, we, we, we are risking our reputation at times. We are risking what is easy, sometimes what is acceptable to follow our faith, to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to the love of God over the fear of man, the reputation of man. Growing up like any child does, even though Jesus is both fully God and fully human, we have to believe his parents had some residual impact on Jesus' life, even through risk-taking. Even through risk-taking. Think about it. Jesus grew up knowing the story, knowing kind of the collateral damage of his birth, right? Right after his birth, Herod attacked all the newborn babies. Uh, His family had to seek refuge. His parents were marked at least by their family and close communities as being the ones that are raising the Messiah. Talk about pressure, right? I used to coach and parents who were like really good athletes, their kids would be coming to me for practice and they'd be like, yeah, they just have a lot of pressure on them. You know, I play college and sports and so they just feel this pressure and so I don't, want, I don't want them to feel that pressure. I want them to have fun. It's like, could you imagine being the ones that are going, yeah, I'm raising the Messiah. You better, you better read some curriculums and get it right, right? People are gonna be watching you. People are gonna be judging you and just talk about the pressure. It absolutely prepared Jesus to understand what it means to be abnormal. And even through Jesus was absolutely, absolutely fully both God and and man here on earth, living on earth, Jesus had to absolutely understand the value that comes with understanding that your life is not normal. That there's a value in that. There's a significance in understanding that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. So Jesus throughout his life shows us the fullness of what it means to take risk. When the only real safety net, and this is the key, when the only real safety net is the Father's love for you. Jesus taught us what it means to take risk when the only real safety net is the Father's love for you. So let's go back to the moment Jesus prayed the night before he was arrested. Jesus perhaps about to take the biggest risk of his life, at least the most painful risk, and he asked for the cup to be taken away from him. Jesus is asking to be relieved from his duties, if at all possible, right? And of course, Jesus leans back into the risk. Jesus leans into faith, leans into obedience, and he goes down the dark road that leads to the cross. But when he said yes to the part of death and the part of pain and the part of suffering, when he said yes to the risk, and that's really important to to process because it, it, it means that he also said yes to the resurrection 
and the beginning of a new creation for you and I. And I just want to remind you, when you say yes to Jesus, when you're saying yes to God, when you're saying yes to a risk of giving up something and living your life for God, you're taking a great risk of giving up something of yourself, but you are most likely preparing a path for someone else to benefit greatly from your obedience. When you're saying, yes, God, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to live this life. I'm going to dedicate everything I have for you. That is not just for you. The risk you are taking is going to benefit someone else very greatly. Your yes to God is oftentimes an, an answered prayer to somebody else. And that's really important here. But sometimes we find ourselves in the same situation as Jesus. Lord, you're asking me to risk a lot here. You're asking me to give up a lot. And I love the relationship that we get to have with God because it's a real conversation that we get to have with the Lord, right? That's what we start to build towards in our relationship with God, where our prayers are real. Not that, you know, like there's bad prayers or immature prayers or anything like that. That's not what I'm getting at. But we build this comfortable relationship with the Lord, this confidence in our relationship with the Lord, where we have conversations with the Lord, and we can say things like, Lord, I don't want to do this. Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm afraid I'm going to let you down, or I'm unqualified. Or Lord, you know, especially if you're like me, Lord, make it really, really clear that I'm supposed to do this. If there's the, if I can select the angel come and talk to me button, like that's the one I want. Like, let's make it real clear. You did that for Mary and Joseph. Please do that for me. Like, I want it really clear. And we see this all throughout Scripture in almost every story where someone is hesitant to move into a risk. Someone is underqualified to take the risk. Someone has a reason why it is risky and why it is hard. And I love the conclusion to the Scripture that Jesus has here because he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Prayer oftentimes leads to to a resolve. That's why I love prayer so much, because it oftentimes leads to a resolve. It It is as if the asking of the question was just what Jesus needed to do. Just asking the question is what Jesus needed to do. And the Father understood. Sometimes we just need to get all of the possibilities and all of the impossibilities off of our chest. So we can settle into what we know is the right thing to do. And asking those questions to the Lord, it doesn't mean you're letting fear in. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean you've lost your will or you're worried or you've lost your faith. And I've learned that there is honesty and that there's humility in asking God for help and for the answers and being absolutely real and vulnerable with the Lord. That that is absolutely okay. The Lord knows our heart and he sees our hesitation and it's okay to give that to him. How many have seen somebody scared or afraid especially like a kid and you ask them like when they're about to jump to the pool for the first time or something like that and you're like are you scared and they're like no the lord knows who we are the lord knows when we're nervous the lord knows when we're fearful and it takes great honesty and it takes great trust just to give that to the lord that vulnerability to the lord the lord knows our heart and it's okay to give that to him it takes great faith to know that the father will answer in some way form or fashion so fear is real we see that with Jesus and it has a funny way of operating sometimes it's really in your face like you're about to face a real problem 
Uh, maybe you've just received horrible news from the doctor or your boss gave you a big project that you don't think you're capable of doing. Whatever it is, you're met with fear in the moment, right? You start to question yourself. You start to question things. But it also has a way of controlling us when we don't know that fear is controlling us. And that can happen to absolutely anyone. In learning to navigate fear, it's really important to understanding our role as believers in navigating fear. If you want to be true to yourself and who God has made you to be, you're going to have to commit and take risk at some point. It's just part of it. You're going to have to risk and take some, um, some risks at some point. And understanding how to navigate fear is absolutely part of this process of, of being a follower of Jesus. And we kind of get to see... Um, this in 1 John 4.18. Go ahead and put that up. Let's, let's just jump right into that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, let's take a step back. And let's, not even a step back, we're kind of in it. Let's look at 2020. And I know I'm kind of a genius and no one has thought to reflect on 2020. But I think we can all agree that it's exposed some new types of fears, some new types of anxieties, some new types of um, anger. And anger is really a result of fear too because you're out of control and stuff. So, And the question is, what do you learn from those moments of fear, frustration, anger, confusion? So how have we, not ha we, how have you as an individual handled the fears of last year and maybe perhaps it's unattached to covid or related to everything going on in america this year perhaps it's unrelated to the obvious issues of 2020 what have you recently learned because that's the key what have you learned about fear what have you learned about fear we see that there is no fear in love when we look at the Christmas story, it's easy to think that the fearlessness we see in those who were a part of the plan were not overwhelmed by the fear. They were not overwhelmed by the fear. It wasn't fear, but it was being loved by God. It was being favored by God. It was feeling deeply loved and, and in the inmost parts of your, uh, of your being and who you are, having that confidence that gave them the courage to act bravely and to obey and say yes and to have great faith. Believing God loved them to their deepest core. I'm sure Mary and Joseph had to hold on to the promises of God and declare God's love over themselves constantly as a reminder that what they were doing was risky, yes, but the promises of the Lord were going to be fulfilled and God's love was so deep and so close to them. I really like the second part of this scripture because it says perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. There is a driving quality. There is a motivational force to God's great love. God is love, and whoever lines in love lives in God and God in them. And it's not our perfection, obviously. It's not our perfection, obviously. The perfection doesn't come from us, but we can absolutely take part in the perfection. We can take part in the perfection. As the result of having been perfected, we can take part in the perfection. 
We will not be perfect because of sin and all that. But God chose us because of his perfect love. And it's not obviously about striving for perfection or anything like that. But it's about receiving the grace of God completely and fully. Receiving the grace of God. God's unfailing love, it never gives up on us. It is absolutely unfailing. It always perseveres. His love pursues us and never grows tired of our imperfections. Therefore, it's in his seamless, unconditional love that draws us to the perfection in his eyes. That's so cool. His love is absolutely perfect and pure. It's not manipulated. It's not based on certain conditions, but 100% perfect and pure. But even with this information, in acknowledging that God is love, and love is perfect in God's eyes, then why do we still have fear? Why do we still have fear? Why did Jesus experience fear before he was arrested? Well, first off, it's okay to experience fear. There's nothing wrong with laying out all the option and using fear as a tool for caution, using fear as a tool for humility, using fear as a tool for wisdom. Fear can actually be a good tool. Um, I'm watching my kids experience new things and learn what is safe and what is not. And Leon knows from experience that he does not need to fear his bike. He does not need to fear his bike. Um, But he also knows from experience not to go super fast around tight corners. He figured that out. And I still remember, there's, there's, there's a difference between the person that has one experience going too fast around, around the curves and the crashes, and then the person that says, nope, I'm never getting on the bike ever again. I'm not doing it. I crashed once. I'm not doing it ever again. Leon, I remember last year, he got a bike for Christmas, and he was finally able to play with his bigger, with his bigger neighbor kids and, and get to do what they were doing. And he was so excited. He was so pumped. He couldn't steer worth a dang, but... Um, he was just so excited to be playing with the bigger kids, right? They have bikes and he didn't and he finally got one. And, um, but he wrecked pretty quickly because he couldn't really steer and didn't know what he was doing. And he wrecked pretty, pretty quickly because he was new to it. And when he wrecked, obviously your instinct, and me and Jasmine were both there, standing right there. And our instinct was to run over and check on him. But I kind of grabbed Jasmine. I was like, don't, don't do it. Um, I was like, let's just back off. First off, I knew he was fine. I wouldn't do that if, like, he got hit by a car or something. Let's just see what happens. Um, (laughs) But I also wanted to see what he would do without me or Jasmine influencing his next decision. I wanted to see what he would do. And because if I run over and make a big deal about it and treat him like a baby, he may be influenced by that, right, by me coddling him. And he may then ask to be held and may, may have trouble getting on that bike again or may wreck again knowing that we're going to like baby him and try to get like some sympathy candy out of it. You know, he tries to like work it. And, uh, but on the other hand, if we yell at him like good fall Leon, cause we typically will do that. And then like, you know, way to go and try to like shake the fear off of him. Good job. Everybody falls. Great job. If I influence him in the opposite direction there and I like tell him great fall and all that stuff, maybe he doesn't learn that he can get back up on the bike completely on his own. And he has to have me there to push him and encourage him. So Leon crashed, and I wanted to see what he would do. So I just watched. And Leon riding his bike, trying so hard to keep up with his friends, was so proud, was so happy, was so full of pure joy. 
I mean, parents, that's, that's the best thing. When you see your kids just in pure abandonment, pure joy, having a blast, he crashes, and he's so in love with the moment, he just gets back up, says, I'm okay, Daddy, and jumps back on his bike as quickly as possible, wrecks again. I'm okay, Daddy, gets back up, right? But here's the trick. Leon started to learn how to steer. He started to learn how to slow down just a little bit to go around the turns and the corners. And he didn't, he, he hasn't really wrecked in a long time because fear kind of became a useful tool, right? It didn't overwhelm him. It didn't stop him. So in Romans 8, 14 through 17, we can read this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, and we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What these verses are saying is, if we are being led by the Spirit of God, then fear should never overtake you. Fear should never overwhelm you. Jesus prays, Lord, take this cup from me. Jesus experiences a moment of fear, but it didn't overtake Jesus. Jesus continued to have faith and stepped into the risk. So Jesus experiences fear for legitimate reasons, right? None of us would want to trade places with him. But we all face our own fears and other legitimate reasons as well. So what are some of the ways that we experience fear today? Right? We've all been worried sick about many things, right? All been sick about many things. Staying up too late, worrying about stuff. We've all been there. I've been there. I've been worried about things. You know, you just wake up in the middle of the night and like suddenly you worry about like the weirdest thing, like, oh, is there mold in my crawl space? You know, you just like wake up in the middle of the night with just stuff, right? And it's like, you know, I, I, but all of us, we worry about things at a deeper level too, like growing up, did I prepare myself enough? That's something I look back at. You know, we can fear the future, right? Sometimes we can worry about the future. Sometimes we worry about finances, right? And we have a fear in relation to finances. We have a fear of what others are going to think of us. Are we going to let people down? We have fears about how we're doing in our job, right? We have fears about um, the next step. And I could, you know, things that we just couldn't get off our minds and, and our problems become bigger and bigger, right? And they can eventually torment us no matter how small they start. They can always lead to torment and to bother us and to really keep us up late at night and to build an anxiety, right, over something so small. It has this snowball effect sometimes, and we can find ourselves in a place of torment and worry, right? So what do we do with fear? First off, we have to identify what we're feeling, what we're fearing. We have to identify how we're feeling and what we're, fe what we're fearing, and many of us here are stepping into new seasons in our lives and we're about to experience so many new things and it's exciting for many of us. It's exciting to experience new careers, um, new babies, fostering, adopting, getting into great programs. Um, Alyssa, shout out. And, but it's also time when you might run into some insecurities and insecurities are just moments of fear, 
right? Insecurities are just moments of fear. And in these new phases in life, always the next phase can just lead to, to moments of insecurity. Um, so what do you do in those moments? Do you panic? Do you run from the opportunity? Do you try to control the situation and manipulate other people in the process to make it a little bit more comfortable for you, right? That one's a really easy go-to problem solving, right? I'm just going to manipulate other people. I want to control the situation because that definitely happens. I'm stressed, right? I'm stressed out about this situation. Whatever it is, it's my insecurities are hitting something at work, right? Maybe my boss gave me something and I'm really insecure about it and I'm fearful of it for whatever reason. So I'm just going to try to make my life easier by making others adjust to my stress, right? I'm going to manipulate others to make my life easier, right? I'm stressed about my job. It's stretching me. It's growing me and causing me some anxiety. So maybe I, I learn, um, uh, maybe I learn to then, you know, make Jasmine do the dishes so I don't have to, right? So we start to manipulate and control pre control people, we, 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 we kind of collapse a little bit under, under the pressure, and so we kind of manipulate other people just to make our life less stressful. We control other people to make our life less stressful, and that happens absolutely. We all react differently to each moment of pressure. At each moment, we all react differently, but confidence, it allows us to respond to the pressure rather than reacting to the pressure. Confidence in who we are allows us to look at the pain, allows us to look at the anxiety, and with confidence of who we are, we can say, I'm going to respond to what's happening rather than just react. It allows us to be secure in who we are. Even if we are still 100% nervous, still 100% scared, we are the ones in control. We're the ones in control. We are talking to God. We are laying our options down to the Lord and stepping out into confidence like Jesus did, right? Who did not waver. Jesus had a conversation with the Lord, but he did not waver. And I think some of our confidence comes from knowing and trusting that God is absolutely there. Our safety net is there, God's love. But do we really play, pay close attention to that? Do we really value the consistency of God's love in our life? the closeness of God in our life. 1 John 4, 16 points out, we're not gonna read it, but it points out that we should be conscious of God's love. It needs to be more than just a biblical fact that we know. We have to be conscious to it. It's more than just intellectually being okay with knowing that God is love, right? We have to be conscious to it. We need to be able to experience God's love almost daily. And several years ago, I was in desperate need of a, of a revelation of God's love for my life. And so I began to write down things that God did in my life that I believe were displays of his love. Uh, no matter how small it was, I would write it down and I would record them. And when someone would give me something, I would write it down. When somebody was super nice to me, I would write it down. When someone showed favor for me in a situation, I wrote it down. When God answered a prayer, I wrote it down. When God didn't answer a prayer, right? But somebody I had a conversation with really helped me get through it and understand what was really going and discern what God was really doing. I also wrote that down. And this process became a tool for helping me quickly process and become conscious and aware of God's love. And it became confident. I really became confident in God's love for me because I was aware to what God was really doing in my life. 
And it grew confidence in myself and in my identity with the Lord. And I believe that little exercises of raising my awareness to God's love reminded me of just how the little things each day absolutely matter. And it actually plays a role in your stress management. It plays a role in how you just kind of are walking around with anxiety and fear. And it narrowed down the gap between my sense of lack and myself, insecurity, whatever it is. And it taught me to not let things separate me from God's love and separate me from God's security and having great confidence that he is in my life. It was a simple little exercise I did for about six months. And you had to commit to it, but it was great. So when trouble comes... And it will, in my own life, I have all that to look back on. God, you were close to me then. You're close to me now. And I'm alert to God's love and reminded with confidence that, 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 he, that his will is more important than mine. I'm absolutely confident in that. And I'm able now to see, because of the little exercise, I'm able to see God's love each day, right? It just helped train me to see and recognize God's God's love for me and that there is a promise and there's a truth and that there is a perfect love that absolutely does cast out fear and it does and I've had to confess with my own mouth the truth that God's love is for me and that God does love me during times of unrest during times of anxiety during times of fear when you wake up in the middle of the night and you go oh no there's mold in my crawl space you know when you wake up and you everything is fine, but then you get, you get a bad report from the doctor or you wake up and you hurt yourself at work like I did. And it really caused me to have some anxiety, right? I knew that God's love was with me and it caused me to get over it real quick and move forward. The last part of first John four eighteen: the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Chances are, I hate to break it to you, you're going to be afraid at some point in 2021. There's going to be some unrest in 2021. There's going to be anxiety in your life in 2021. And like I said, many of us are experiencing new things in our lives. But fear never just leaves. It doesn't go away. Okay, but I encourage you to look at it as an opportunity in 2021. As an opportunity. There's more of God's love to experience, to enjoy, to pursue to hold on to in those moments of fear. The contrast is greater. The light is brighter in that dark moment. We have something more to hold on to. Even if it's everything you've got, hold on to God's love. When we practice being the beloved of God, we are quietly practicing to be brave in the background. It's really important. And risk to keep going will become more easy and will become easy and become easier and easier and we'll have more confidence to stay in it and that will become easier and easier. I believe Jesus grew up in a culture where love was taught to be greater than fear. I believe he was taught in that culture in his house that love is greater than fear. Jesus had a history of putting love for God's kingdom over the fear of man reputation, what is normal, and perhaps comfortable. And I believe Jesus understood that, that this at an early age because of Mary and Joseph putting their faith on the line in the love of God, the truth of God, the promises of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was more important to Mary and Joseph than all the other stuff. 
It was absolutely more important. The promises of God was more important. The love of God was more important than all the other stuff. And they were willing to let the love of God outweigh the disappointment of man. Fear is an opportunity to grow in your love of God. It's an opportunity to let your love, to let your, to grow in your love of God, to accept more of his power and to learn to let go of your own. And absolutely along the way and in the process, you're gonna have some failures. When God asks you to take a risk, it doesn't always just go super smooth. You're gonna hit some bumps. You're gonna hit some, some, some crossroads that you don't know which direction to go. But what an opportunity to learn and to be made perfect in God's love. Amen? Amen. Bobby. Bobby. That's the way Leon says it. Bobby. Leon is obsessed with Bobby. We legitimately had to tell him before his first day of school not to call anybody Bobby. Because he would just run around and go, hey, Bobby. And I was like, Leon, here's the thing. He's the youngest, one of the, if not the youngest, probably one of the youngest out of school because he's going early for some speech therapy. And uh, so I was like, Leon, you're, you're, you're going to be, I didn't tell him, of course, you're going to be the smallest and the youngest. Better grow up quick. Um, I was like, buddy, hey, you can't call anybody Bobby there. You understand that, right? Please tell me you understand that. And he goes, okay, Bobby. And I was like, dad, gummit, this is going to be so bad. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it turns out he hasn't called anybody Bobby as far as we know. We told his teacher, like, don't take it personal if he doesn't call you by your name. He just calls you Bobby. She's like, what? <laughs> like, don't worry about it. So, yeah, we'll figure it out. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, look, with, with respect, I understand that um, um, moments of fear are real. Um, and, it, and it does have a way of capturing us. And it can control us. And um, and I'm not saying just love God and everything will go away. It, it, it's 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 deeper than that. What I'm mostly talking about is how it can control our security, our confidence, our identity, and that can affect how we view ourselves in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, in the kingdom of God. How we contribute to the kingdom of God, what our role is in the kingdom of God. We sometimes accept less for ourselves and we limit our capabilities off of our insecurities and therefore contribute less to than what we're called to do because of fear in our life. I just want us to be confident that God's love does drive out that fear. It doesn't just go away, that it can be a process that we work towards. It can be a real process that shapes us and molds us. It's part of that transforming, right? It's part of that transformation process of growing and looking more like Jesus and being able to contribute more faith, hope, and love wherever you go because everybody in this room is designed and created to contribute faith, hope, and love with where you're at right now and where you're going in the future. And as you move forward in the future, you are supposed to be looking more and more like Jesus as you continue to grow, as you continue to mature as a believer. We don't just burn out and phase out and just get it all at the beginning and then just try to hold on to it. It's more than just a feeling. It's a process of transformation. 
And I've seen fear hold that up in my life. I've seen fear hold that up in other people's lives. And it's really important to learn that great love in God will require you to take great risk, but to hold on to his promises for your life that you're designed to do great things. And this isn't a go change the world speech, but find God's love deep inside of you and hold on to it and know that you're created to do something important, significance. And it looks different for every person, right? Significance is absolutely different for each person. Some are supposed to reach tangible measures and tangible metrics and grow a great business or, you know, lead lots of people and all of that stuff. But some of the ways that we lead and we grow and we do what we are called to do, it's in so many ways that are immeasurable. And fear loves to come in and take your security and your confidence and who you're called to be. And it kind of squashes your calling. Let's not think smaller than God's capabilities. And let's definitely not let fear control us into thinking smaller than God's capabilities for our life.